Thank you very much, Joe, for coming on to the podcast. No problem. Like I was saying off air, the part where I wanted you to come on was listening to you from um, the Samuel Leeds pod, um, video where he mainly spoke about your age, which really intrigued me. So I thought you'll be perfect for the podcast. Obviously, we're looking to inspire young individuals and you're young yourself, so it'll be perfect for you. So the main thing I wanted to go over with you was pretty much your journey. And then at the end, I'm going to shoot over a couple of questions just about mindset and business and other things like that. Okay. Um, so where did it all start for you then, Joe? Wait, like what age did it start for you? Did you go to college first? Um, if you could go through that story, it'll be perfect. Okay, so um, really where my interest um, came from was when I was uh, quite young, my dad um, was getting remarried and he basically did a let to buy. Um, which enabled him to have one buy-to-let, which was uh, basically an accidental buy-to-let. Now, my dad rented out his flat. It was fine. It went well. Um, but it, he w really wasn't interested in it. Uh, it was literally just a matter of maintaining the asset via a buy-to-let. So I began watching Homes Under the Hammer and trying to suggest things to my dad about property investing. Um, we didn't really want to know, um, didn't really value my opinions, and... I couldn't get involved. So that sort of um, inspired me then to get involved myself. And when I became the ripe age of eight, uh, 16, I, uh, I opened a letting agency with a friend. Um, and literally it was as simple as creating a website, learning stuff about the Landlord and Tenant Act, um, deposit schemes. Uh, and then we literally went on to Gumtree and hassled landlords for their property stock. But what we did differently, we... Um, we would meet a landlord and we would bring tenants with us that were already fully referenced. And if they did like the place, they took it there and then the referencing was done and we put our reputation through that. And then went on to property sourcing um, for other landlords, which then set us different from other estate agencies and letting agencies as well. Um, but after a while of being a letting agent, I just sort of established that it wasn't for me. And the reason why it wasn't for me is because um, I don't like managing property. What I do like is the deals mm -hmm. uh, and the numbers that are associated to that. So when I was uh, a letting agent and running the business, I was also in uni uh, studying on the ACCA programme to be a chartered accountant. Mm -hmm. So I love financial law. I love um, methodology in relation to numbers and how things are calculated. So where I become disheartened with the lettings business, and enjoyed the accountancy business, but at the same time knew that I was never going to be an accountant just because of the day-to-day -day job that it entails. Um, I sort of had an epiphany that I would specialise in finance for property investors because I was so heavily um, invested into the buy-to-let space and had a client base for that. Okay, wow. So how long were you doing the letting agency for and how was it like to juggle your entire university while you're doing letting agency was it long hours or yeah it was long hours but i mean when you're working for yourself you don't see the hours go by um so the university was probably the most inconvenience out of it all the letting agency i did like it because it was a business but i couldn't see it as a long-term thing um so yeah it was long hours um and it was difficult but i did it it was more sort of missing lectures and <laughs> catching up in the evenings <laughs> yeah of course so in the day the office just ran as normal okay that's interesting so what you were how old were you when you were doing the letting agency and when did you move on to right. the sourcing right so when i was 16 set up the letting agency and then sourcing probably when i was in my 17s 
probably late in the <laughs> No problem. So you were 17 and you started to source deals for other people or for yourself? Uh, for other people. Okay. So you were packaging them on and selling them on for others? Yeah. How was that, that doing for you? To be honest, I didn't really recognize the opportunity that I see today. A lot of people are packaging deals and charging quite a lot for that, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a valuable, um, a valuable strategy um, for sources and for investors as well. Um, but I didn't see the opportunity back then. I wasn't charging enough. So um, it was more of an incentive to get more managed property. Oh, okay, to have the residual income yeah. instead of just chasing the money all the time? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Just have more of a managed portfolio um, rather than charging a one-off fee mm-hmm. for finding the deal. If I had noticed the opportunity back there, maybe I would have been uh, hiring cash flow. But, yeah, of course. Uh, so how did the, the managed portfolio go for you in the letting agency? Did you, just, you still have it or you just gave no, it away? So um, sold the lettings book on um, mm-hmm. and just basically um, went separate ways to my old business partner, mm-hmm. who's also doing well. He's now in uh, social housing development. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, he's got quite a lot of sites on the go. <laughs> uh, so you might hear from him soon, maybe. Yeah, of course. So he's at the same age as you, I presume? Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. So after the sourcing company was discovered and you've, you didn't see the right opportunity, what was the direction that you took? So the direction I took, it was basically, um, I decided to study to be a mortgage broker. Mm-hmm. just as a sort of way in to advise on finance associated mm-hmm. with buy-to-let. Um, so I had a family friend called Morgan, and um, he was also a client at the time in the letting agency. And I had a conversation with him on the phone, and he basically said, why don't you come on board? Mm-hmm. Um, now, I was in the mind frame that I was un- unemployable at that stage because I've n- I'd never really worked for anyone. Um, so I would have probably struggled with being told what to do and sort of thing. Um, so he basically said, come on board and explained to me that it was like a self-employed position and just build up a, uh, like sort of a franchise as a brokerage. So I did. Um, and that was two and a half years ago. So okay. Morgan's the guy who owns GPS financial. That's not my brand. That's Morgan's. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. That, so you're working full time for somebody else now pretty much. No, no. So it's, it's self-employed through okay. GPS. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, I've basically built it all up. Okay, wow. Yeah. So during that period of time, you've been trying to build your own portfolio on the side? Yeah, so it was almost immediately, probably about three months into me setting up as a, as a mortgage broker. Um, it didn't happen straight away because obviously I was building up a client base and, and you, know, you know what it's like setting up a business, it's, it's hard going. Uh, so I didn't actually start investing myself until about six months into setting up as a mortgage broker. Okay, in terms of your first deal, what was your first, first deal. deal that you, you obtained? So I was walking up Penny Van Mountain in um, Wales one afternoon and I was walking up with a load of investors. Basically, it was just a way of me networking on, mm-hmm. on a Sunday um, to grow my mortgage Network. company. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I was speaking to a business contact who was a Latin agent in Swansea and his name's John. Uh, and he basically mentioned this, these great, these great HMOs. He's got such a great value. And the story was he's managing these HMOs for a client. Now, the client was Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Mr. unfortunately passed. Mrs. didn't want the HMO. She was never really involved in the investment. Um, she didn't understand it and she really wanted to get rid of them. There was a lady who had an option agreement and she was basically doing a rent to rent on them HMOs. So the lady who had the option agreement had an option for 365 to buy them. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, the lady was not financially stable enough to be able to mortgage them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so she assigned the option to us and we bought the option from her. Okay. So the properties were actually worth 550, but we had the option for 365 to buy two six bedroom HMOs. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously we were walking up the mountain and John was telling me about these deals and, um, and he was saying that he had no deposit and neither did I to obviously buy them. So what could we do? So I scratched my head for a bit and realized that we could buy them on a bridge. Uh, and with bridging finance, it's a bit different to mortgages. Of course. So when you're buying a property on a mortgage, the loan to value is applied to the purchase price. Yeah. When you're buying on a bridge, the loan to value can be applied to the open market value. So instead of it being applied to the 365, it was applied to the 550. And because there was so much gap in what we were buying it for to the market value, we bought them with no money down. Um, and the way it works is that generally you can get 80% lending on the open market value. So of 550, that is 440. So that's the maximum we could borrow with a bridging lender is 440. Um, but we only needed 365 plus interest for roughly nine months, which mm-hmm. is rolled up. So what we would have had to pay the bridging lender if we stayed on that bridge for a whole nine months would have been 425, mm-hmm. right? So it's a lot of money. Right? That's about 60,000 pounds in interest for nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we did, we exited on month four and we only paid back about 397. Um, which enabled us to walk away with £150,000 net profit okay, once we wow. remortgaged them. Oh, so what We remortgaged them okay. off the bridge. We didn't really uplift the value to a refurb or anything. Oh, of we course. We bought them because, significantly yeah, exactly. BMV. Uh, and that was it. It was as simple as that. To a commercial lender that didn't have a six-month rule. And um, we were off. <laughs> That's perfect. That's we actually pulled out 85000 of that one one fifty. Mm-hmm. So... We still own them. We're still cash flowing quite positively from them. Mm-hmm. We pulled out £85,000, which kick-started the buy-to-let portfolio. Um, and we're just constantly recycling that money. Okay, so I'm momentum investing pretty much. Okay, is that you and your Team. friend? Yeah, so um, the letting agent that I talked about who yeah. I was walking up the mountain with, he's now a business partner. Um, and the third guy is Wayne, so he's an accountant. Uh, and the way it works is... Um, John finds all the deals because he's got his ear to the ground all day. And this is the relevance of a power team. I would not single-handedly have the time, the resources, or the energy to be going out looking for deals in the same way that John can. Mm -hmm. John understands the market very well, more than I ever could, because he's constantly looking at deals in Swansea. He knows the market very well. Um, Now, I've chosen the area of Swansea because it's got a steady uplift. The infrastructure is developing nicely, and I think that the prices are rising. the areas in which we're buying are growing at 12%. Mm-hmm. Um, so just having the power team in that area is enabling us to grow aggressively uh, and not really have to step out of our normal day-to-day lives to invest. So I don't leave my office. John sends me a form uh, about the deal, so we could say the purchase price on it, the address, the estate agent's contact details, solicitor that we're going to go with, all of that sort of stuff, details of the property, what rent we can expect to achieve and what refurb we might have to do to it, if at all. Um, I basically provide the finance, um, get everything in place, get it over the line, pass it back to John, um, sorry, Wayne. He will then manage the refurb, manage the builders, which is quite a significance in itself. Uh, when the refurb is then done, it gets passed back to me for the remortgage and then back to John for the management. That's literally like a perfect flow of um, parcel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, have you ever had thought of just raising finance for it or not just getting a bridging loan for it? Is, is that something that you've been considering at all? For the purchase? Yeah. Yes, we always use um, bridging te- generally for the purchase. Okay. Um, so the funds that we released from our first purchase, we never really bought cash in full. Mm-hmm. We always split it up so we could do more deals at one time. Oh, yeah, of course. Just because we've got a great building team. Um, so 
we know that we can get the, the refurbs done in maximum of two months. Uh, and we work with lenders that don't have a six month rule. So when we've, uh, uh, the most recent project that we're doing now, we're refinancing it as we speak. Uh, we bought it for 100K uh, about three months ago. Spent 20,000 on it, including finance and legal cost. Mm-hmm. So the gross cost was 120. Uh, and then we've refinanced at 85% loan to value and it's worth 170. Wow. So we'll get all of our money back and a bit more. Okay. Well, would you say that's the best way to structure your deals? Yeah, definitely momentum investing because the area in which we're buying is growing at 12% per annum. We're still making positive cash flow. Net is about 450 off that house. It's not a lot, but it's a single let, yeah? Single lets are generally a lot easier to buy, refurb and refinance. Um, maybe not so much in England because you can still do it under permitted development in some areas. Uh, but certainly in Wales, where the whole of Wales is Article 4, you need planning permission to make any property a HMO, right? So even if it's going to be a four bed. <laughs> so, I mean, in areas in England where you can do it under PD and still buy a property that's in a poor state of condition, do a refurb and then refinance it as HMO, I believe that can still work. A lot of my clients are doing that. Um, but for me, in the areas that I'm investing, I've just decided to take a back seat on the HMO um, and just go after single lets in volume. So now, um, the HMOs that we've done, we're finding that we're having to refinance them up to 85% just to get our money back. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of my clients are refinancing at 75% in England where they're doing it into PT because it's a greater opportunity. So with the single lets, I'm just finding it's much easier to buy, refurb and refinance to get all the money back and gear at a low loan to value on the exit. Yeah, of course. To keep no. the cash flow positive. Perfect. So what's the reason for you to be kind of stepping away from HMOs? Well, basically, we've now got a building team. So I told you earlier that it was going to be myself, John and Wayne. Uh, so that's the three of us. We've just now opened a new company. It's the same three, but we've added in an additional two to come as one. And they're <laughs> builders. So these builders now um, are going to be basically enabling us to do multiple deals at one time because they can manage a building team. That is the big, apart from finance, that's your biggest problem is, is the building. Uh, and then I would say planning as well. <laughs> um, but we understand the planning um, issues, not really any with single lets because we're not really doing a lot. Um, but what we're doing is buying properties that are, tend to be unmortgageable for whatever reason. They might have damp, uh, they might have Japanese knotweed, um, they might just be in such a poor state of condition, they might not have a heating, uh, which make it unmortgageable. And we'll really target them properties because when you get them properties and you're bidding on them, you, you're not competing with home buyers because they don't have the option to mortgage it. So you're only competing with cash buyers or investors that understand bridging mm-hmm. because that is the only way you can buy properties in that condition is either on a bridge or a mortgage. Mm-hmm. Um, so the reason why we target them properties is because we can get them quickly, buy them on a bridge, get a hold of them within about two or three weeks because a bridge doesn't take as long. Uh, we can get our builders in to do the refurb within a month or two and I know that I can refinance that within another month. What? So it's just a, way, it's just a quick way of us buy, scaling up a portfolio quickly, buying a property, refurbing it, getting our money back um, and we're just going to aim for about 200 properties. Okay, year. so that's your target to build a large portfolio yeah. on um, single lets. Just to, to leverage against because yeah. the area in which we're buying is growing at 12%. So if you can imagine I own a property now that's worth 100k, I've got all my money back out of it, that's Great, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you get a nice rental income from it. So you're getting four hundred pound a month net. Brilliant. It doesn't stop there though. So your property, assuming it stays, the market grows and grows at twelve percent every year. In two years' time, when the two-year fixed is up, it's going to be worth well over one hundred and twenty-five k. 
yeah, which means that you can do another remortgage on it and pull more money out of that property to then buy refurb and refinance with, you know? Mm. It's just all about leverage um, because you leave your money in and it'll move with the times. So. Yeah, of course, of course. So in regards to um, the mortgage company that you're currently working for and working with, um, what is like your day-to-day kind of job um, in terms of working with other people? Is it just giving other people advice? And Yeah, so um, what I've been doing over the past 12 months is growing a team. So now I've got a, um, like an underwriting team that does all the applications. Um, they've become a bit more savvy as time has gone on. Um, but as, as regards to advice, I'm the only one who gives advice um, okay. because in the team I'm sort of the only one who invests. Okay. Now, not in GPS, every broker in GPS is an investor, that's sort of the theme. Um, but anyone who's sort of in my admin team um, isn't. So I would be giving the advice and I sort of add value to my service by giving advice as an investor, not just a mortgage broker. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my clients tend to come to me and say, well, I've been to my broker and he's just not giving me the advice you're giving me. And that's not me blowing my own trumpet. The simplicity of it all is, is their mortgage brokers are doing residential mortgages day in and day out. So where they get an investor come to them and want things like bridging and development finance, they usually hear about them type of cases in a minority. Mm-hmm. I hear about them in a majority. So I'm sort of 95% investor, 5% homeowner. Yeah, of course. You know. So when did you get educated in terms of all of the finance knowledge? I lost a lot of money. <laughs> oh, did you? Okay. <laughs> Made mistakes. Um, so with, with the investing, it was just losing a lot of money in terms of mistakes. With the finance knowledge, it was just, you know, it was just a lot of phone calls, um, looking silly. <laughs> you've, just, you've, got, you've got to put yourself in that position to grow. Um, and then also talking. So where I've gone out to do talks, I'm constantly looking at new material to talk about. Uh, and mentor people through okay. um, and that just sort of triggers me to go out and find out more in depth about these products. Okay so it's literally speaking to other people who are do- in the same field as you to educate yourself on those? Yeah it's, it's more about me being an investor and seeing the value in the products as an investor and that's the reason why I'm able to be a sponge and absorb all of the criteria and be able to recommend to certain people. Yeah, exactly, because you're using their own product pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in regards to your failures, literally, what you were just saying, when was your first something that went wrong in, in your well, it, it was probably the letting agency because obviously we had staff in there. Um, and to be fair, like even with the tenant ban, the tenant fee ban now in England, I don't know how letting agency is going to cope because <laughs> like they don't get paid enough even back then when we were charging tenant fees it was the cash flow wasn't great you know and we had quite a big management portfolio when you've got staff to service all of that you just find that um the bottom line isn't actually that good <laughs> so it'd be interesting to see now how letting agencies cope i think they're gonna have to increase the management fee to landlords um to be able to service it um but yeah it was really in 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 just not doing what I was passionate in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am now, and obviously, no more mistakes. <laughs> yeah, of course. A quick question about the letting agency. Um, as a 16-year-old, how was it when people you were telling people what to do? Do you know what? It, it was, the, the re- like I said to you about bringing tenants that were already referenced with me, that was how I built my reputation. Because mm-hmm. people just don't take you seriously. No one knew how old I was when I was ringing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I turned up, they realised. But once they're realising that I've brought poly pocket full of referencing documents with a tenant that actually wants their property mm-hmm. um, I don't think the age really mattered that much then of course um, and that was sort of how I grew my team, team yeah. okay that's really interesting um, in, in regards to the failed project that you said you were going you, you, you kind of did 
What was the one of the other projects that you failed on or something that you, you learned like a bit? Yeah, so basically we JV'd with, um, we JV'd at one point with uh, someone who was a builder and I don't think they were able to carry out the work that would have been required of them. Um, the communication was poor and the uh, obligations of that builder to be a JV partner just weren't being met. So we found ourselves in a situation where we were on a bridging loan trying to refurb property uh, and we had to we had to get basically get a, get a director removed from the company because mm. he just wasn't able to carry out his obligations uh, now in doing that it did cost us a lot uh, in terms of you know restructuring the company um, taking on more of the senior debt than we were due to initially pay mm-hmm as per our percentage obligations. Of course. Um, so yeah, it was just a learning curve really, because it wasn't just obviously about the financial loss that we incurred, it was more about the quality of the refurb in the end, but one as good as it should have been, mm-hmm. um, because we had to rush and find someone else. Then the bottom line just constantly went down and down and down. We didn't lose, we still got all our money back out, but we could have made more. Mm. Okay. Uh, one one of <laughs> one of the things was that um, we turned that two bed house into three, okay. and the third bedroom wasn't large enough to be a third bedroom, <laughs> by literally uh, less than a centimeter. Okay. So when you're working with people, just I'd say do your due diligence and make sure they've done that type of thing before. Although we had um, something went wrong. Yeah, of course. You know? So was that a deal which was going to be a buy to flip or a buy to keep kind of situation? Um, we kept it. In okay. The end. Um, in hindsight, I think we should have flipped it, but, you know. Yeah, of course. Is that something, like a strategy that you might be interested in at all? or do you do, Yeah. I would flip. Um, however, my business partners are more of a, a hold type mindset, which I agree and I, and, 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 uh, I can see it as, as valuable just because of the capital growth that is we're seeing in Swansea, particularly where I'm investing at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all for capital growth and leverage. So... Whereas I'm quite sell and do a bigger development with the residual cash you'd get, mm-hmm. they're more like hold and refinance and just grow, 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 grow. Okay. You know? So you're trying to grow... There's pros and cons to it all, but um, I'm happy as, as, as we are investing. I think mm-hmm. as we're going forward now, doing the single lets in volume, I am going to be looking for some commercial property that we can turn into flats maybe. Yeah. Um, not under permitted development because we're in Wales, but... <laughs> But yeah, that's the type of thing that we're looking for. Okay, so you want to be growing the single lit portfolio and then doing some commercial to residential kind of units. Yeah, so I mean, um, with the single lit portfolio, we've got a bit of a benefit now because we've got a great building team that we can work with. Uh, and the benefits really to that is that we don't need the cash up front to do the refurb. So if you're doing developments on whether they be, you know, 20K refurbs on a terraced house or a commercial to resi, you really want to be JVing with a builder. Because if you can JV with a builder, they can do the work at cost, um, make sure the finish is spot on, and then wait for the money from the re- remortgage funds, you know? So generally, if they've got a good credit line with their supplier, they can wait three months. And if you can do the refurb very, very quickly and refinance it really quickly, that builder then can be paid at cost through the remortgage money uh, and then not have to be invested by yourself up front. Okay, so you would say when trying to scale your portfolio, it's it's good, it's good tactic to be JV with a great established um, yeah, builders. that you can trust. 
So obviously do your due diligence on them, get a credit file off them. If they're putting any funds into an anti-money laundering check on them for 12 months on their bank statements, just to make sure that there's no large cash deposits, anything that would make a lender uncomfortable, because <laughs> inevitably a lender's going to see it anyway. Um, obviously on the credit report check that they're not on the CFAS register, and apart from that, you should be okay. Okay, so you pretty much give that entire project over to them to manage and get sorted because they're going to be project managing the whole thing. Yeah, and they've got skin in the game, so you can, whereas you get builders in that are third parties, you can never trust them. Of course. Yeah, and, and why would you trust them? Because they've got 20 other people who want them to go into their house or their investment property to refurb. So why are you any different? You're not paying them anymore. Mm-hmm. And what builders do is bite off more than they can chew and then they, don't com- they, they, they can't commit to what they've, they've said they will do. Okay. So I find it really useful. It's taken a lot of weight off my shoulders, JV and with a builder. Um, now, there's a great finance product that we're using at the moment, mm-hmm. and that is basically Shawbrook Bank will lend you 85% of the purchase price as long as you're doing a light refurb. Uh, you've got experience, and uh, the minimum value is 85K. So if you find a property that might be worth 100K, as it is, uh, it needs a full refurb, might be a mortgageable. Um, and let's say the gross development value after a refurb of 15K is 160, they would lend you 85% loan to value on the purchase price. You JV in with the builder, they do the refurb at cost, and then you refinance at the 160, 85%, you're on your way out, you've got all your money back, builder's paid, you own this property still, all the money's back, maybe a bit of net profit as well received in your hand from the remo, and then you're back on your way to the next. Wow, that's really good advice. Um, in regards to structuring the deal with a, with a builder and a JV partner, how would you structure it yourself? Um, it really depends how you did it. So, um, how, how, well, it really depends what your intentions are, rather, I would say, and, mm-hmm. and what you're looking to do. So if the company's going to be large and you're looking to do large commercial to resi stuff, um, a couple of structures that we've been working with lately are a limited company where you've got the pie split up into five, so you've got 20% going on. Um, one that we're currently working on is made up of two UK investors, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one builder, so that's 60%, and two foreign nationals who mm-hmm. reside in Hong Kong, right? The two foreign nationals sit outside of the underwriting because they're less than 20% shareholders. They don't go on the, UK, uh, on, on the mortgage, and the benefits to that are is they can have access then to UK finance products because they're less than 25% shareholder is the significance. If you don't have a UK credit, um, a UK credit history for three years, you can't have access to UK finance products. So that means that the interest rates you're looking at could be well over, you know, four and a half, seven, sometimes 7%, depending on, you know, what property value you're going after. Um, generally, you're looking at 7% though. Okay. And what benefits do you think... Um are brought to the table when you're finding investors from foreign um, countries? Well, basically, um, a lot of them tend to be very experienced in their own sectors, in their own countries, right? Um, well, where they're just pumping cash into the business and understanding your business model, as long as the, co- as long as the company is working like clockwork where you've got someone sourcing, someone managing the build and someone looking after the finance, then they just need to be updated every now and again and it can just enable you to grow a property business very quickly because they're just pumping the cash into the, to, to it. As long as you can handle sort of the volumes of the work that go along with it, having cash just enables you to do more deals at one time. And that's what stalls a lot of property growth is cash, of not having cash available. But a lot of foreign, foreign investors tend to be uh, quite wealthy. Mm-hmm. Now, 
what is interesting for our nationals at the moment in the UK is the fact that the value of the pound is low, right? So where they're in, where, where their conversion rates are in their favour, they're interested in buying properties in the UK because when the property market grows, they're going to be quitting. Okay, that's really interesting. And is that the way, like you were going, you were saying you're looking to build your single lets and you're looking to build your commercial residential. What's your next type of projects and what type of projects are you currently doing? So I'm going to be going out to Hong Kong in September to do an event. We're talking all about development. And while I'm out there, I'm going to be hopefully connecting with people um, and giving them an insight to the projects that we're working on at the moment. Uh, and I've got an intention to create another limited company and do some commercial purchasing uh, to turn into residential, working with foreign nationals. Okay. Because we've got the experience. Of course. We've got the ability to obtain the finance. They've got neither the experience or the ability to obtain the finance. And we can help them have access to the UK property market. Okay, wow. Um, one quick question going back. In regards to structuring your company with a JV partner and other people, what's the long-term plan? Is it the growth that you're looking into and then remortgaging from these, from these properties? Or is it the cash flow that you're more interested in? And both, really. Because, I mean, to grow, to grow a portfolio aggressively, you just need the cash. Um, now, depending on how generous your investor is, you can reduce your cost of borrowing by buying properties in cash uh, and also give yourself more control. So you can just, if you can just buy a property cash, get hold of it, get the planning in place, um, you're laughing because if you don't, you've got to buy that property on a bridge, incur legal costs, valuation costs, product fees, interest, get planning. And then you want to go over to another development loan, which could be another lender where you're going to incur legals again, stamp duty costs, uh, not stamp duty costs again, sorry, legals, valuation charges, product fees, and then another load of interest and broker fees. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, and in regards to what you're currently doing, so you're aggressively trying to grow your portfolio yeah. and you're giving other investors advice. So is that what you're currently doing altogether? Yeah, so when I tend to do talks, I speak at PIN, PPN, uh, I do a bit with Paul Preston. Uh, Samuel Leeds, as you know. Of course. Um, so basically, when I'm doing these talks, I just basically show other investors what I've done with my own investments mm-hmm. uh, and what finance products I've used to do that. Obviously, now and again, I talk about some of my clients' investments if they've given me permission to talk about their numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that's ge- I, I generally try to use my own deals as examples. Sure. And what's the reason for doing all these talks? Is this it's like a small marketing plan to build your personal brand? Um, really, it's, it's, more of, uh, it's more of growing connections, really, okay. with other investors, um, because obviously investors are my clients, mm-hmm. um, so business-wise it works for me, but I like mentoring people. Okay. So, so you enjoy teaching people pretty much? Yeah. Okay. All about um, education in terms of how to structure your deals and everything like that? Yeah, like I tend to, I tend to like the elite, elite, elite customers a bit more. Of course. Um, because it gets a bit more tricky and, you know... You enjoy problem solving. I enjoy problem solving. I don't like problem solving at the lower levels where you've got someone who's looking to buy the first buy to let and they don't yeah. own their own home, for example. Yeah. Like, I don't mind helping them customers, but I much prefer, you know, elite customers who are looking to just do things a bit differently. Mm-hmm. Open large company structures with subsidiaries, um and working with foreign nationals to do large developments. Okay, and in regards to current large, when we were speaking off air, your current large uh, project that you currently do, can you give us some more information about that one? Yeah, so there's a project that we're looking at at the moment, it's grade two listed. Mm. Um, we're, still, we're still 
basically getting our ducks in a row uh, and then and deciding whether we think it's viable to make a plan and application because there's so many units 35 flats and 10 houses it's roughly 380 pounds to submit a planning application okay. it's going to be about 18,000 pounds so we will need to be sure really before we commit to it um, being grade 2 listed we need to get heritage in to see what elements are listed and then we can then get a build cost um, estimated for the development once we've done that we'll do our numbers and see whether it's going to be worth going for uh, and if it is then we will hope to do the 10 houses first, cash out of them and spend some time then on the listed building. Wow, that's really interesting. Going back to the marketing and the personal branding and like you're looking to connect with other people, is that something you're somewhat interested in to build your personal brand up? Um, yeah, really. Uh, like, I do, I do, I do, I do want to grow, grow my name, yeah, but um, in terms of like a brand, I just like helping people. So not really, no, not in terms of like a brand uh, as myself, because I do like helping people, but I don't see any further benefits in, you know, exposing yourself, exposing even. myself even further than I already am. Oh, okay, you I know? totally understand. Yeah. But from what we're trying to do with my company and stuff like that is build our personal brand to connect with more and more people. So obviously, when people know who you are, they're going to be trying to connect with yourself. You have such great information and knowledge that you can be sharing with other people. I think that's where I connect with people is <laughs> is um, where I share information. And that's yeah. where I connect with people. Um, I don't tend to um, I don't tend to like constantly post a lot uh, on social media about myself. I tend to just post about information. I think that's where people find it valuable. Yeah, of course. But like even small other sections such as mindset. Yeah. Um, where people are struggling to be dealing with certain types of mindset. You've been in business since you were 16. Yeah, yeah. Now you're 24, so that's you know nearly eight years. Yeah. In terms of when you're feeling um, stressed or overexcited, what type of methods do you use to, to really calm yourself down and proceed in the process? In terms of calming myself down, I would say Think and Grow Rich is my favourite go-to. Um, okay. Audio book is now my favourite. I did read the book, but <laughs> mm. I prefer it over audio. Um, that's more of a calming um, sort of thing for me. If I really want to get myself excited, it's Grant Cardone. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if I really want to get myself grounded, um, Roger Hamilton. Okay. Yeah. So you're listening to a lot of audiobooks and podcasts at I, all? I used to listen to a lot more than I do now. Um, so that's probably uh, <laughs> a bit of a negative. However, I, have, I do intend on um, resuming. Um, I'd recommend listening to Cashflow Quadrant. Mm -hmm. I think that's brilliant. Um, but yeah, if people are really looking to, to, to get, get involved in property, um, I'd recommend going to the nearest property event and just listening, listening and, and deciding then from there what strategy sort of sways you most. Yeah, of course. That's understandable. Um, in regards to like business inspiration, like other people that you're looking to, obviously you said Grant Cardone. Have you read any of his books and are you looking to 10x what you're currently doing? Yeah, I am looking to 10x what I'm currently doing. Um, Grant Cardone, I usually follow more on his YouTube stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the 10x mindset is definitely what I'm looking to do, yeah. Okay, interesting. But I... not just 10x in terms of cash flow, 10x in terms of spare time. 10x yeah, of course. 10x in terms of quality, 10x in terms of a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, of course, I totally understand. One thing that you, I think you should really truly do is, is YouTube because you have such amazing like knowledge, <laughs> even like small um, clips of how you're structuring it. I would like to, that. I would like to, and it's something that I do have planned. <laughs> but at the moment, I'm just um, 
you know, there's only so many hours in a day. Maybe I need to look at efficiencies more. Yeah. <laughs> um, because systems and processes are really key in business. Yeah. Um, now, a type of strategy that I know of um, that systems and processes are absolutely paramount for is service accommodation. Okay. Do you have any yourself? I don't know. But I've got a customer, well, a client and a friend, actually, who has 700 units. Service accommodations? Yeah, 700 units. Wow. Um, so let's just say each one makes him a grand, yeah. Probably makes him a lot more, yeah. But let's just say... That's some good cash Let's flow. just say a grand, yeah, just to be <laughs> estimating. He must make at least £700,000 a month, right? <laughs> he has told me that he spends two hours a week on his business. So he's really systemized it. Very systemized. Very Tim Ferriss. Yes. <laughs> so like obviously you hear about these people and what they've done and hearing about me and not having enough time to do a YouTube post, mm. well I think it's time for me to look at my systems and processes maybe. Yeah, of course, because one way that I've systemized my business is outsourcing to the Philippines. Right. So a lot of them do a lot of my work and I've taught them how to do it and it reduces all my time, so now I could focus on another section of the business. So how does that work with GDPR then, have you looked? What do you mean by GDPR? So like obviously, assuming you're sending um, sort of loose information out to the Philippines, that's fine, right? Because mm -hmm. you know, if it's your property details or stuff that's relating to you, that's fine. But let's say if you were like to, um, you've got a tenant that's contacted you, they're looking to move in. Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously you need to send out you know, a welcome pack to that tenant and uh, get some information from them and collect their ID, stuff like that. Would that be in breach, because I don't know, um, of GDPR or not? Um, I don't think it will be in breach of GDPR because it's all under like G Suite and it's all corrected in the correct places. Right. So like it's, it's stored in the correct manner. Right. So the information is going to be put in the correct places. But like making it leave the UK, the information, the key bits? Um, that's something that I'm not too sure of, unfortunately. I should be looking into that. <laughs> if you can point someone under you as well, so if somebody's actually working on your behalf, that may be a part of it. Um, yeah. Because seriously, I would love, because I've had it on my mind for about two years now that I need to, to be outsourcing more often. 100%. The problem I've got is that, like, because I'm in such a financial business, you know, it's difficult. If it is, it's if sensitive. It, yeah, it, like if it's not within the guidelines, then I'd be in trouble. But if it is, I really want to understand how um, I can make it compliant. If there's anything that I can do to make it compliant, so I can start using it a bit more. Have you looked into it at all? I have loosely, but it's not. I don't think. I don't think there's enough information there in the right places for me to be confident enough. Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's a bit of a grey area. I think if you contact ICO, so the information... The ICO, yeah. Yeah, so we're part of ICO, and then the way you store in the information is the way yeah. that you could be um, under and good regulations of GDPR. Okay. But that is one great way for me to be really freeing up my time because it's relatively cheap labour, and they'll be able to do exactly what I need them to be doing. So um, I, I run a small HMO company in London, and they've run in the entire company for me pretty much. Wow. Um, and now I'm going to be focused on sourcing deals and packaging deals and investing in project, pro projects myself. Okay. Um, but going back to one quick question, you said you're looking to scale into social housing. Yeah, I mean, um, social housing developments, I mean, in terms of like, in terms of like doing flat builds and then selling them off to a social housing company okay. just a quick way we give cash out of development oh so you want to keep them you don't want to, you want to cash flow no no no, no. <laughs> why not, not? development um, I think development is just for me I've always seen it as, as a quick way of investing and getting lump sums of cash back 
in terms of net profit. I think that's the beauty. It's, it lines up with flips. It's just on a big scale, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, developments are going to be something that I'll be delving into a lot more next year. What's your long, long-term plans? I know you're trying to scale your single-let portfolio and do some commercial residential, but what's your long, long-term plan in terms of huge projects? Is that something you might be interested in? Yeah, I think um, what I want to do is create a largely cash-flowing property investment, whether that be uh, a large HMO, a large block of flats, or um, a large something. Yeah. Um, but I want to I wanna structure it in a way that I've put it into a trust, um, and I will make that trust fund um, something to do with a non-profit organisation if I can, Okay. Um, and look to do some charity work through that, and just make it a self-funding charity. Okay, so literally residual income yeah. for that charity. Yeah. So it's literally building a huge legacy for yourself. Well, yeah, I've always wanted to do charity work, but um, I've not got the confidence in charities that the money gets spent in the right places. Of course. Um, so I just want to be able to take some control over a charity, and that is the only legacy that I want to leave on this planet, really. Yeah, of course. My, my properties, I'll just, I'll, I'll take my mortgages to the grave. <laughs> so, is that your plan, to take yeah, the mortgage? Yeah. Interest only as long as possible. <laughs> <laughs> That's something I'll be doing myself as well. Is there anything else that you wanted to say, Joe, at all? Um, really, just um, how your HMO uh, portfolio is going in London. Um, well, I run a letting only pretty much, so Do I don't you? manage any properties. It's an introduction only um, okay. company. So um, at the moment, we've got over 100 rooms that we're letting on a regular basis, right. and that's managed by my virtual assistants. Right. But um, I'm scaling that down because it literally, like the tenant fee ban is margin, is the, the margins aren't as good, unfortunately. So I've increased my, my, co- my, um, fees to landlords which is slightly more difficult to get them on which is taking more of my time because yeah. I would have to speak to the landlords that's the only part that I do with that business right. but um, I really don't enjoy doing that side of the business anymore unfortunately I want to be going into developments I want to be going onto bigger projects okay. so um, I've got a business partner we're looking to scale our business we've got a huge marketing plan we're going to be putting into place to be finding deals for loads of newbies and other investors all over the United Kingdom okay. so um, it's not going to be just in one small section nice nice <laughs> That's the I think I think you've you've nailed it with the management um, really because with the cash flow you know outgoings being quite heavily staffed mm-hmm. um, having the outsourcing probably gives you yeah the cash flow that you need exactly. to, to keep it going yeah exactly yeah, yeah definitely so that's why because like i used to work for another agency right um he was 23 as well actually really? on the company so he was managing about 550 units um all in east london but he's got so many staff members and everything like that so i was telling them you need to i think you should be doing um finding some virtual assistants but he didn't necessarily like the ideas <laughs> unfortunately and then there was loads of other marketing ideas I wanted to implement hence why it was the first for me to be starting my own company and I love marketing so I know that I could grow a business in terms of marketing Facebook ads YouTube ads growing a podcast and growing my personal brand is something that we will be growing like look at Gary Gary V look at um, Grant Cardone um, Ryan Sahan, they're all in, all in that, that, that sector. Um, and they've got so many opportunities coming to them just because of their online presence and online brand. Yeah. Hence why I see as if you're running a $200 million company and you're telling me to do this, 
then it's going to be some sort of value. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just a bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, that's literally it, Joe. Thank you very much for coming into the no podcast. Problem. Is there anywhere we could possibly find you um, sure. if people wanted to get in contact? Yeah, so uh, on Facebook, I'm as Joe Lane. So J-O-E space L-A-N-E. Uh, and the same with LinkedIn. Um, my real name is Joseph, but okay. if you like being called Joe, why well, put it as Joseph? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Thank you very much, Joe, for coming on. I appreciate that. Thank you. Cheers.